This morning, I um, would just like to, I would like to pray for the furtherance and the message of the gospel. The wonderful thing about this, um, this fact that Jesus died and rose again is the fact that God, like so many occasions in Scripture, calls on us, us lowly humans, to have the privilege to be the mediators of that message and to take it with our voices and our languages and our writing to other people and communities and cultures. So let's pray for that fact today, the, the global efforts of God in building his church, much of it unknown to us, but yet um, continuing. Dear Lord, we thank you now as we remember this day and what it means that we also remember that, as your word says, the gospel is, um, there is power in that message because it leads to salvation. Your spirit convicts us and we hear the gospel message and our hearts are softened. I pray that people around the world and in this community may respond to that message, repent of their sins and place their faith in you. And I thank you for the part that we play in that and that you have entrusted us to be a part of that. It is a wonderful privilege to share the gospel. Amen. <clears throat> okay. So this morning's message is called The Resurrection and the Life. The resurrection and the life. Sorry. Got the wrong set of notes here. There we go. <clears throat> Why am I talking about the resurrection today and not on Sunday? Well, I don't think that there's a specific rule that says I can't. And I want us to, instead of being um, a congregation of mourners be people who view the crucifixion in light of the, the complete picture, and that is that he was raised from the dead. If he was crucified and that never happened, then we wouldn't be here and 
Christianity wouldn't be a thing and God wouldn't be a God of truth and promise and a living God. I was um, at a family gathering uh, in January and I asked one of my relatives, why did Jesus have to be raised from the dead? And the reason eluded this person. They weren't sure. They had to think, um, you know what? Actually, I'm not sure. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Oh, he died for our sins. But there was no connection. Then what's the point? <laughs> we have an almost um, uh, infatuation or, or um, this uh, starry-eyed idea of immortality, right, in, in, in modern literature. I don't know if anyone knows the, the, the novel Dorian Gray, a man that has um, uh, immortality, that lived many ages and um, did some terrible things with his immortality. And the catch was he had a picture of himself, a portrait, but the portrait continued to age. And he, if he looked upon his own portrait, the age of the portrait would reflect his own age. So by the time um, of the end of the story, the portrait was skull and bones. It had long decayed and, and uh, lived past the human expiry date. But it's a fascinating story, and it's a very old story exploring what if we lived forever. Now, the prospect is actually uh, quite morbid if we think about it. Um, many other stories, these are the immortals, and here is this MacGuffin that's going to kill this immortal. Well, then they're not immortal, then they're just hard to kill. The idea of the resurrection, of shedding ourselves from the penalty of sin, uh, and being without sin and living forever. It, it's something that we can't quite grasp yet. But the resurrection is so uh, foundational to our understanding of what happened at the cross. I want us to, this morning open to John chapter 11. Now, it's a very long story. We're going to touch on a few points, but it's the story of Lazarus. The man that Jesus brought back to life.
So turn with me this morning to John chapter 11, and let's look at this idea of, of death and what Jesus, uh, what connections did Jesus make, and how we can walk out here today and try and live in that truth, not only in the knowledge that on the cross Jesus paid for my sins, if I place my faith and believe in him, but that he is raised again and is alive at the right hand of the Father. And actually, that fact also applies to us. Let's read the first few um, verses together, and then I'll pray, and we'll look at the story a bit closer. Now a man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is sick. And Jesus uh, heard this and said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified by it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Dear Lord, as we come to you this morning and we read about this story, to read about the the love that you had for these people and the love that you show us through your sacrifice on the cross, Lord, may we emanate that love and maybe we be reminded of that and live faithfully and obediently and self-sacrificially knowing that one day we will be in eternity with you. Amen. So these sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lazarus is sick, and, and, um, and the idea was that come quickly so that you may heal him, so that you may make him better before he succumbs to this illness and dies. And Jesus said to his disciples, we will stay here another few days, and then we will make our way to Judea. Bethany was a small town just outside of Jerusalem. And um, by this time, um, people were uh, openly, um, in some regions, uh, aggressive towards him, so he was careful where he went. And the disciples make note of this. But if you go back, there might be trouble. 
people from Jerusalem might recognize you. Remember, they tried to stone you. I don't think you should go. But he insisted that, um, that they go regardless. The idea of life and death is, is very prevalent, I think, on the minds of even the disciples. In verse 16, it says, Thomas. We always give him flack for being the doubting one, but we have to give him some credit for, um, for being the resolute one as well. He says, he says to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. You know, if it is the case, if Jesus wants to go and they do end up killing him, I'm ready to die as well. Let's go. So this idea, it was, it was, it was in their minds. It was um, on Jesus' lips, and it was in the air. Uh, Jesus might be killed. What about the kingdom? What about everything that he had set in motion. What if he died and all of this was for nothing? Well, we know that in actual fact that was Jesus' um, ultimate purpose and it was only the beginning. Thomas uh, church history tells us that he ended up being martyred, preaching the gospel as far east as India. So Jesus arrives at this town, and it says Martha came to where Jesus was approaching and greeted him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But she acknowledges, but even now, I know that whatever you may ask of God, he will give you. Lord, we would have liked for you to heal him, but even now, we know that a miracle might still happen if you will it. So incredible faith, but, but not quite seeing uh, the full picture yet. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, not understanding um, but also acknowledging that Jesus wasn't simply talking about the miracle that he would perform in a few moments, but also eternal resurrection. I am, uh, Jesus, I know he will be, uh, he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says to her, I am that resurrection and that life. He who believes in me, 
Though he may die, yet shall live. Perhaps an indication that Lazarus, um, on his death, uh, understood this. As all who place their faith in Christ, or rather place their faith in what God has revealed. And in this case, Jesus says, There is nothing hidden now. It has all been made clear to you that God requires us to repent of our sins and place faith in Christ through what he did on the cross. But I'm getting a bit off topic, sorry. He says, he who believes um, in me shall never die. And he asks her, do you believe? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. And the story goes on and Martha uh, pleads the same. If you were here, my brother would have lived. And it says she, she wept. She cried bitterly. And the people with her cried with her. And it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. The idea there is, is unsettled, is... Um, I don't know if you've ever been angry at, at circumstances or not upset with uh, an act, but upset with um, a building um, series of events, like, how did we get here? You know, like, I don't know if you've ever had that kind of frustrated anger. Jesus was troubled in that way. Reminded again of his great humanity and the humanity necessary for him to die in our place. But that, that death Through sin has um, has brought trouble to the Lord. I <laughs> just a few verses on it says Jesus wept. One of the shortest verses in Scripture, and it again highlights the great depth of. Uh, God's grievance towards sin and towards the cost and the consequences of that sin. How uh, lightly do we consider 
our own sins sometimes. Then Jesus again groaned within himself. It repeats in verse 38 when he came to the tomb. And so he asked them to roll the stone away and um, and speaking to God aloud in prayer. <clears throat> I think it was... Um, less of a case of intercessory prayer the way that we do it, but more a case of speaking aloud an internal dialogue between uh, the Father and the Son that was continuously uh, occurring. Because he says, thank you for hearing me, and I know you always hear me, but for their sake, I speak aloud for their sake. And he commands Lazarus to come out of the tomb. And he, he walks out, still wrapped up in the burial robes. What is this, what is this story indicating? Well, we go back to the words that he spoke to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. You see, Lazarus wasn't given a glorified body at the end of the day. He did eventually die again. <laughs> so did everyone that Jesus ultimately healed, I'm sure. But he says, He says, um, whoever believes in me, though they may die, yet shall he live. It talks about a state of being. To be alive eternally, to live in uh, an everlasting state of uh, aliveness. <laughs> it's, it's a state of being. It's, it's something that um, cannot be uh, altered or changed or removed with a MacGuffin. It is not connected to the curse of this world. It is not attached to our sinful um, uh, sin nature. It is uh, associated with perfect union with God. We cannot imagine such a state now, we, we think, surely something needs to happen. <laughs> we, how, what is it like to live forever in union with, with God? 
I want to read from uh, Romans um, chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, as Paul is um, breaking down and examining what the gospel is, he brings up a few uh, references to to this dichotomy, life and death. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even though we shall be raised in newness of life. Knowing this, that your old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. And it goes on and it finishes... Verse 13, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead, that your members are instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. <clears throat> Speaking of our state of being, our state of being uh, unto eternal life, this state of being that doesn't begin one day when we are uh, glorified in the new heaven and the new earth, it begins, um, it begins the moment we place our faith in Christ and are saved. This state of being that that means that we are alive in Christ and and all the the wonderful things that comes with that state of being it says that we are dead to sin does that mean that we no longer sin ever again? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that Christ has paid the penalty for that sin. And that through humbling ourselves to him and repenting of that, 
we may embrace that, that state of being. He constantly referred to Lazarus as he's merely sleeping. That this state that he is in is not his permanent state. He is uh, in a state of eternal life. Though, they, though he may die, yet he shall live. Now my question to you this morning Do you find yourself in a state of eternal life? Eternal life that is necessary to have eternal fellowship and union with a being, our God, that has no beginning and no end. And that he made us with that intent. Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you asked him to forgive your sins? The other question I have for you is, if this is your profession, if you say, yes, pastor, I've done that, why then does it seem we don't, we don't live it? We say it, but our actions really seem like we don't believe it. I know I'm guilty of this. You see, Paul connects this newness of life, this eternal state that we find ourselves in. He says, it is, this is your true state. Why do we still go on pretending and acting as though we are bound for oblivion? When Paul says, if grace abounds, if we're forgiven of all our sins, is that a license to sin? God forbid. Because the logic doesn't make sense to, to put ourselves on this track to eternal life, this, this true state that we find ourselves in, why do we still continue as though we are on the road to oblivion? The two are, are not compatible. Why do we offer our members up to unrighteousness? Why do we, in a sense, disrespect what the Lord has done for us this day? Not openly, not saying, I'm going to sin because I want to disrespect. But we, we downplay, we, we forget the gravity the sacrifice and of the suffering it took for the forgiveness of our sins. I want to challenge us all this morning to not lay our sins on a scale of severity and say this one is bad 
but this one's okay. I'm okay with living with this, and I'll work a little bit harder on this one, and as, at least I'm not the person I used to be. So, yes, we get sanctified, but we are dead to sin, and our state is eternal life. I hope that in our time today, we may be um, challenged and pricked on the, the sins that we become comfortable with. And know that guilt is not the correct response, but repentance and gratitude and humility is the correct response. All right. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the blessing it is to be reminded of what you have done for us on the cross. Lord, I, I know our, our sin nature means that the road to sanctification is never 100% complete, and that we look forward to the day of glorification. I pray that we, however, are reminded that we need not wait for that day to know and to realize the truth that eternal life begins now with faith and repentance in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, Let's have our final hymn, if we can all stand.